3: Hello, good evening, and welcome to Green and White, the weekly Arco Life podcast. I say weekly, but we've been gone for like four weeks, haven't we? It's something been about that? those lines. yeah. It's been a hectic month. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we're back now. Um, don't forget, this podcast is available on iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher, so please follow and subscribe on those platforms. With us this evening, we have just the, just the three of us, actually. It's Adam. Hello. And we have Colin. Good evening. Uh, Adam, do not you talk us through your thoughts from this weekend? Well, I'd tell you, we could summarise the month if you really fancied it. We but could. this weekend's defeat <laughs>
4: defeat yeah. to Charlton. I mean, the uh, weekend's fresh in the mind, so we'll start with it. Um, It was a frustrating one. It was a frustrating one because it was the sort of game where we started, for particularly the first half an hour, exactly the way we'd hoped we'd start a game all season. It was the right setup. It was more or less the right personnel sounds Ryan Taylor but I mean that issue's been and gone and you know it was it was really our game to lose at that point I think what we did very well and Nick I know you've mentioned this in one of our chats is the fact that we troubled them out wide it's the sort of thing that other teams have done to us when their formation doesn't line up with ours our formation was very different to their diamond and we knew that if we controlled the ball there would be space ahead of their fullbacks for us to take advantage of obviously Kerry and Lemuris are great players that you want to be in those situations and to have Sawyer and Threlkeld going on helping them out doubling up on the fullback it gave us control of the game and if Kerry had put that penalty away for 1-0 it would have been a fully deserved lead. As soon as he doesn't I think heads go a little bit and when heads go a little bit Oh
3: and the Ladapo miss, let's not forget literally seconds after Ladapo with a difficult chance, let's not forget but still puts it over the bar from point blank range for an open goal
4: There, that was that was a sad moment in my life but yeah, as soon as yeah, those
3: It is more difficult than the penalty. Let's, let's... Well, there is that.
4: There it, is it that. comes
3: straight out. I mean it's 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 what around hip height, it's not easy to convert, but still fr- frustrating to not go in.
4: As soon as those chances have gone, I mean it, it it was almost like the tides turned in an instant. It was one moment from Charlton, a great cross, a striker's header. I mean you can tell why Lyle Taylor gets a lot of goals at this level, that movement in the area to peel away from Edwards, get his header on target. As soon as they had the lead, it was a completely different game. And then the second goal comes along at the start of the second half, where a lot of our players do seem to be lapsing in concentration. It's a bit of a mess in the end. And at that point, you know, there wasn't really a way back. So it was frustrating. I think if one of those chances from Kerry Oladapo does go in, we're looking at a different game. But I mean, that's what happens. They're fifth for a reason. They took their chances. We didn't take ours. It's a 2-0 defeat. What can you do?
3: I think Charlton are up above fifth now, aren't they? Thought they were third.
4: I'm pretty sure they're
3: fifth. Yeah. They're fifth. I could have. Oh, well, maybe I saw them ahead of they. Oh, so they are. I don't know where I got that from. Mystery. I thought they'd uh, climbed above because they played a game extra over someone. They played a game more than Sunderland. But yeah. Oh, that was. It's a bit of a dropped point because Argyle thoroughly outplayed them, and like like you said, or like you said, like I said, <laughs> um, we you know pushing Sawyer and Threlkeld forward. We normally. Against most teams, you'd see Argyle's four-three-two-one deriving its possession from Fox at the base of midfield, and he'd distribute outwards. But he always struggles more against a against a diamond because obviously he can't get on the ball as much. There's usually someone direct on him, marking him. Yeah. And as was the case on Saturday, but the way Argyle got around it, and the way the way you should get around it, when like we've said in this podcast before, when you're when you've got two formations that are distinct in different ways, so in this one we've got four central midfielders for Charlton versus Argyle having those wide men. Then the way you do that is you exploit the space you know you get on top in that way um and you know we did that by pushing our fullbacks forward by getting the ball the ball out to them that split their midfield it created space it forced their strikers to backtrack and for the first forty minutes we we did that to great effect, and we used that to get possession to get higher up the field to get. Carrying and in possession in dangerous areas. I mean, Lemiris had some of their players on toast at times. You know, we we got him... I mean, it's one thing Lemiris, you know, jinking pass on, but it's another getting him to do it in dangerous areas, and that's where the penalty comes from. You know, part of the reason we've had so few penalties compared to last season was last season we had Lemiris darting around in dangerous positions. We had Kerry darting around in dangerous positions, and that, you know, that puts them under threat. And it's the same happened on Saturday, but... One per. Well, let's face it, Charlton probably should have been down to ten men. Uh, I can't remember it, the defend. the holding midfielder on a yellow card chops down Ramirez on the edge of the area. It's a blatant yellow for me. It'd have certainly not, been
4: booked had he not been already. I think we can say that.
3: I, I can't believe that wasn't a second yellow card. And then we get the penalty, miss the penalty. Lapha puts over the difficult but you know open goal. And then we're talking two minutes between penalty miss, Ladapo miss, and perfect precision cross and perfect header. Which is you know, re- really gutting to think that's a potentially very valuable point thrown away, but we have had some luck along the way, so we can't... I mean, let's not forget that was potentially a point that we gained through Bristol Rovers' absolutely dreadful header into their own net.
4: Yeah, yeah. We,
3: uh, l- slowly l- l- beginning l- to
4: even l- itself out.
3: Let's, let's not play the victims here. We've had some bad luck. Like, we've also had some great luck. How, how we took three points against Coventry. Three points that will probably, that potentially will keep us up at this point. It was that entire month Who of knows? January,
4: wasn't it? We managed to fluke a few results out of nowhere to drag us out of trouble. So, yeah.
3: I mean, we we deserve, I'd say we deserve to beat Oxford. We deserve to beat Southend. But didn't deserve to score three goals against either. Then we definitely should have lost to Coventry on performance basis and won. And then, uh, uh, who was the fourth? Oh so Walsall. Walsall game. Yeah. We, we we scored two two headers from set pieces. Walsall missed two headers from similar sorts of set pieces. I mean, in a different game, they scored their two. We miss our two. We 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 didn't. We weren't a four wins on the trot kind of team, and yet we put together <laughs> four wins on the trot, like like relegation sides often do at times, like Oxford. Oxford declined from second bottom to basically safety by winning four games in a row. Oh, Colin, what, what were your thoughts coming out of the game?
1: Well, the thing that bothers me, and I think still bothers me, going, well, we've got five games left going for the rest of the season, is the, how can I put this, psychological frailty. I mean, I knew, I have to say, I knew as soon as we missed that penalty, we were going to lose two or three nil. Um, you just knew it was going to happen, especially as it happened before half time. How often have we sat there at half time knowing. That they're going to come out to the dressing room, and that the performance is going to take a dip, particularly when you concede a late goal in the first half. And you can say, okay, that can happen to any team, but there's something going on there. As soon as we go behind, I don't think anybody in the crowd believes that we are really going to get back on terms. And again, I haven't looked at the stats, but you know, have we? How many times this season have we come from behind, being one or two goals down, particularly before half time? Um, so I you know I'll be a bit controversial here. Co- Coventry, obviously. Yeah, no, that's true. That's true. But you know, I'm going to be a bit controversial here. I people focus on the fact that um, last summer the recruitment wasn't the all it could have been, and that the transfer window was not exactly setting the world on fire. And I'm not going to argue with that. But we have seen so many teams come to home park this season with players that I would say man for man are no better, and in some cases. Are worse than our I mean, Rochdale's the obvious case. I thought they were the mm. worst team I'd seen in years anywhere.
3: Defensively, yeah, they they were rubbish. rubbish.
1: I've seen better teams in the National League South than Rochdale were. So I don't think man for man we are struggling as much maybe as people think when they look at the budget and focus on you know the recruitment issues and the distance that Plymouth is, etc. I don't think we are as weak as people expect or as people think we are based on the budget. I think there is something going on in terms of the coaching, in terms of the psychology, in terms of the motivation. Um, Because we all know, I mean, particularly on on Saturday, you know, they went in, give or take the last four minutes, where we conceded admittedly, they went in completely on top in the the first half and came out as if they'd been replaced by a bunch of lookalikes who'd barely ever seen a football before. Um, You know, and that's psychological. And that really bothers me. And I'm afraid it comes back to the manager.
3: So I'd, I'd break that down into, like, for, for the final 20 minutes. I think it was from when Ryan Taylor came on and Sarsovic went off. So first off, I don't think Sarsovic was fit. I think there's a reason why he came off early. You wouldn't normally see that in any circumstance, really. Um, and he was, you know, he was far less dynamic than Ness. Ness completely outperformed him. Ness was everywhere. He was on the ball. He was winning the ball back. Sort of game that Sarswich would usually thrive in, but he wasn't bad. He just, not the kind of impact that you'd expect from a fully fit Sarsovic, but... When he went off, Argo went to that four-four-two formation. That that was basically game over at that point. Like our performance had been based on our midfield strength. We had limited them in midfield, and we had you know used that style to gain possession. Um, as soon as we went away from that style, it, it all kind of fell apart. Charlton have got they've got a very skillful team full of proper passing technicians. Um, you know they're they're people who can beat a man at will. They're people who can you know, pass better than all of our midfielders probably on an individual level. Um, you know, they're they're either championship quality, they were championship quality, or they're going to be championship quality players. And so, once 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 we gave up that, once we surrendered midfield, it was basically over at that point. There's a reason why Taylor looked rubbish and Ladapo looked rubbish when when Taylor came on, because. we lost the midfield and we ended up playing long balls to isolated players Lemirus and Carey were barely in the game from that point they had to keep coming deep to get it 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 all and then we ended up with a Garth Crooks style formation (laughs) with Carey Carey and Lemirus in centre mid and a front three of uh, Ladapo Taylor and Fletcher which stuff of nightmares really Um,
4: but that's not something I want to see again
3: no and then so that would be the second half of the second half that's how I'd explain that one way, but the first half you're right, we looked like we had less control. But I think that was more charlton asserted themselves more they've got really good, really strong midfielders, like I said. when we played them earlier in the season, we saw it again, we played them last season we saw it. They, you know they have midfielders yeah, they're like a combination of all our midfielders. Ours have limitations in one area or another. Like, Fox, obviously, defensively weak, physically not so strong and not very fast. Sarsvich, not, not an amazing passer, you know, limitations like that. Virtually all their midfielders are above the class required for League One. And as soon as they started to assert themselves, you know, we saw, we held them off initially, but after, after the tactical tweak, that was when we were gone.
4: Yeah, I looked towards the start of that second half, and I think the real issue for us particularly as you've mentioned in the midfield for Charlton not having to do you know stepping up their game not having to do as much in the first half was that calamitous second goal as soon as that went in it was a case of Charlton not necessarily needing to you know exert themselves or do anything major at that point they knew as long as they kept Fox out of the game as we know from fixtures against them you know, across the last year that they're capable of doing. As long as they stopped the long balls, getting to our centre forwards, and if they did, they were very isolated, as we saw with Kerry and Lemire as not being close to near the end. They didn't, they didn't need to do anything else going forward. I mean, as soon as we'd allowed that mess to happen at the start of the second half, it was, as I said, game over. And like Colin said, you know, as soon as that penalty was missed, you, there was just a feeling that heads were going to go. And that particularly happened with the second goal. I mean, there's... A number of players there you can pinpoint as should have been doing better, and as a amalgamation of all of that, it's just a complete mess watching back. And yeah, after it,
3: I mean, that's it. Like I say, uh, right, right from the start. Um, if you watch that back, watch the ground that Perrington makes on Lemiris. Lemiris doesn't even bother trying to go back. A, a lot of that goal stems from Lemiris's refusal to track back in the slightest. Perrington's about ten yards deeper than him when he starts his run. And he ends thirty twenty yards further ahead of him. That run by Perrington is all sort of reminiscent to Holmes Dennis's run. Was it X Argyle left back's doing this to us? <laughs> um um is reminiscent of Holmes Dennis's run, uh, for Bristol Rovers the other a uh, couple of weeks back, when, you know, Threlkeld's man marking the winger, you've got an overlap a uh fullback overlapping you've got to follow the fullbacks otherwise he's breaking into the box unmarked you know, free to cut it back. You, you at least have to track and try to cover both. The moment he has to do that, I think it's Williams is completely free to then, you know, break into the box and put in a low cross. From there, really poorly dealt with. Can Edwards cut it out? He can do better. Canavan can do better? Absolutely, that's... I, I mean, he's a bit unlucky, but I'm not I'm not really sure what he's trying to do with it. And then Macy, I mean, I, I feel caught flat-footed and I don't I don't blame him particularly for this goal. I don't blame him particularly for Blackpool's late equaliser, nor do I particularly blame him for Bristol Rovers' late equaliser. But altogether, I expect him to save at least one of those three. I don't expect all three of those to go in. I'm very disappointed with that.
4: Yeah, it does seem more of a pattern point more than anything. I know we've spoken on this podcast at length, particularly when Leatheran was back in the team, about who we'd prefer to have in goal there. And I think, you know, there's obviously very much a debate still to be had, but it doesn't go in Macy's favour that all of those goals you've mentioned have gone in. I don't think he can be individually blamed for any of them, but all three of them going in is is a little bit frustrating, if nothing else.
3: Very frustrating. And his, his distribution was dreadful. No, that was one of the worst displays of distribution from a goalkeeper we've had this season. We've had some bad ones from Macy and Leathering combined. I, that was, it, you know, he was so slow to get the ball rolled out at times, which meant that we had to go long. Ladapo, I think you won like two out of fourteen headers all game. So the moment we had to go long, Charlton have got dom. I don't really blame Ladapo. Charlton have got dominant centre backs. Whenever they play Taylor, they keep him quiet, and that's not easily done. You know, they're they're really strong in the air. So every time we went long, basically the ball was guaranteed to come back at us.
1: Well, that's been the pattern all season. I mean, Ladapo cannot win headers. I mean, he, it's not his height either. He just mistimes his jumps all the time. So I've never understood those long balls to Ladipo. They He wins one in ten at best.
3: Well, it's not. It's one in three. But, Which <laughs> I mean, still is It's one in three. <laughs> no, it's not great, but it is one in three. <laughs> no way. Are
1: you serious? Yeah. Yeah. He wins one in three headers.
3: I think it's one. Off the top of my head, it's one in three.
1: Well, it's, it usually doesn't come off the top of his head. That's the
3: problem. <laughs> I think the part of the problem is even when he does win it, they often don't go to a teammate. So you, you'd sort of consider that a lost header. But unfortunately, I don't track that. If he wins the header, it goes down as a one header. And I don't really have a way yet to way, have, a, have a way of tracking whether or not he's successful with that header pass. But that, that's why it seems like he's worse. Even when he does win it, it rarely goes to a teammate.
1: Okay, I bow to your statistical. Superiority, <laughs> um,
3: but yeah, he's. And we're speaking about Canavan before we recorded. Like, Canavan could have been could be so much better of a player if he properly imposed himself. It it feels like he's coasting at times. He picks the easy route and plays along to Ladapo. Why? He's got a pass option on. You know, we know Ladapo's very unlikely to win the header, and if he does win the header, it's not going to a teammate. Why are we playing for territory when it doesn't work? It's like the stupid kickoff routine. I'm actually going to make a list of every time. kickoff pass back to Fox, Fox lumps it long to no one. It, it, why are we doing that?
1: Yeah, that happens every week. You're absolutely right.
3: Every week. Like the, the only time I can think of that we haven't done it was when we just conceded the late goal at Charlton when Lamiris took it and dribbled past two players and you know, went on to have some possession.
4: Just Keep the ball. It does negate. I mean, they say you're most... Most vulnerable when you've just scored, and the fact that as soon as our opponents have just scored, we generally very kindly give the ball back to them—it does grate on me a little bit, I must say.
0: <laughs> but this, sorry, it's
3: not just the Argel deals. Across the country, almost every team does this. Why? <laughs> There's a reason why England haven't won bloody tournaments in years. It's because most of the coaches are morons at times. Why are we for... Ser- oh, for God's sake. Why are we surrendering possession for such stupid time?
4: I feel like this has been oh, building really up for a while.
3: What do we get from it? Seriously, ne- I-, I can't think of an actual time You know when we've benefited from it in the slightest.
4: No, it beats
1: me. To-, to go back to Canavan, I was just going to say, I think there is a really decent player struggling to get out there. Um And there are times when I watch Canavan and I'm impressed by his calmness on the ball and there are other times when it seems like he's half asleep. And as you say, it feels like if he just put a rocket in the appropriate place, or somebody put a rocket in the appropriate place in his anatomy, he could be a really good player. Um, The one thing I do like about Canavan is that he is calm on the ball. And I have to say that contrasts with... I mean, I, I, I don't know, I thought Edwards was very poor... On Saturday, really? Really? I thought he looked very nervy on the ball. Every time he was fe- particularly when he had the ball and he was facing our goal, I had my head in my hands. I just felt <laughs> there was a cock up coming at any moment.
3: I, I mean, I beg to differ. I thought, wait, I mean, I think Edwards is decent with the ball at his feet. He's he's certainly played some good passes over the past couple of months since he came back in. Um, yeah, no, I disagree with that. I, I mean, I don't think he's as good. I think Canavan's better in possession, but I think Canavan far too often goes for the long ball. Like I said, um, I don't think I don't think Edwards is the liability in possession. Really, I mean, I'm sure that he's got something in him, like the Rochdale gaff, but both gaffs. But I mean, so is Canavan. Canavan's had a couple of bad moments like that. He had one against Coventry, had one terrible one against Peterborough.
1: one of Canavan's weaknesses you see often he'll slightly mistime his jump and the ball will skid. Off the top of his head, he did it. I think he did it a couple of times against Charlton. Um, he and it tends to then the, the ball's kind of on the edge of the area with a an, an attacking player coming in on it. That is one of his weaknesses.
3: I don't know. He, he's bit, he's he's much stronger in the air than um, than all of our, our girls other centre backs. Bar Jones, I don't really know about Jones yet, or all the other players to play centre backs that include Songo and Sawyer, for example. Um, but he really struggled against Lyle Taylor. Lyle Taylor is something else. He's Quality striker at this level because you know he he's got that movement and finishing that Ladapo has. He's got better finishing than Ladapo actually, but you know he's so much stronger in the air and he's got better awareness of his teammates. He's you know his first touch doesn't bounce off him for three four yards, and then he can you know lay it at the right time into the right teammate. He's he's a class above striker wise. He's probably one of the best strikers in the league.
4: I mean, he's surely going to be championship next season, whether they go up or not, isn't he?
3: Got to be. Got to be. My, my only, the only thing I feel slightly sorry for him because, yeah, all those years at Wimbledon. I mean, he did well for a couple of years at Wimbledon, but if he'd left a year or two earlier, he could be established championship player by now. I know. Before uh, we're we're rapidly running out of time because obviously we've been chatting for a while. Now. <laughs> Colin, you wanted to talk about the um, season tickets, didn't you?
1: Yeah, I just wanted to um, sort of throw this out there. People have focused on the what is relatively small increase in the price of um, particularly the adult season tickets I think the early bird season ticket has gone up from 375 to 395 this season and I think there's been a small increase in some of the other prices and I think a I think the full price after the end of the early bird um, season ticket has gone up by about 22 pounds um, and for me a lot of people have, have complained about that inevitably whenever prices go up and yes it's a lot more than inflation etc and we're struggling um, on the pitch so how can that be justified I understand all that um, but on the other hand I think you look at the club people are calling for extra spending here there and everywhere it's going to take a while for the corporate hospitality banqueting and all the other bits and pieces to come in when the Mayflower opens I don't think that a 20 pound increase in um in the adult season ticket is necessarily a big problem and and actually it's not that far out of line with other clubs you know with the possible exception of Bradford City but they have a particularly odd season ticket policy and um they're looking at a division a season at least in uh, league two.
3: they're hemorrhaging money at the moment though they're really worried about their season ticket sales and they're making huge losses year on year too
1: yeah, their basic strategy. I mean, they're selling their early bird season tickets at £150 compared to £395 for Argyle. But uh, given that their their average attendance this season is about sixteen thousand compared to about nine seven for Argyle. If you do the maths, even though they've got more bums on seats, they're still making less on their season tickets than Argyle are. So I think that's a bit of a a bit of a road to nowhere in terms of offering those sort of bargain basement um, season ticket prices. But anyway, as far as Argyle's concerned, my concern is more that I sense amongst the fan base that there is a bit of weariness setting in. I mean, we're looking potentially next year at a third season of, um, let's say, lacklustre pre-season schedule, probably a fairly lacklustre transfer window in the summer, um, and then who knows? I hope not, but hopefully not a third season of a run from August to Christmas, where we have a dreadful start to the season and we're sitting bottom on Christmas Day, Boxing Day, and I think that's the real concern I have when it comes to season tickets, because at least last season we had that last, um, that last sort of few game tick up where we got within striking distance. Last of the few playoffs.
3: game tick up? It was a half season tick up.
1: Well, we ended up getting within striking distance. We no, fixed, exactly. Fixed, yeah. No, yeah, no, we ended up getting in striking distance of the playoffs. So after a dreadful start, we ended up on a high last season. You could we see the second,
3: was, I think, second half of the season. We were second in the form table,
1: and and there was a palpable enthusiasm for people buying season tickets. I think it's going to be very different this season because obviously we're going to be in a last minute, hopefully not last day, but I could see it happening last day, scrap for survival. And I just worry that unless the club comes out and says something about plans to avoid another disastrous first four or five months of the season, I think there's going to be a lot of weariness amongst potential season ticket buyers, and they may struggle to actually shift season tickets between now and the start of next season. And we're hearing nothing from the club, to be honest, on how we're going to... Make the changes which are going to avoid.
3: Yeah, but how do, how do you make those changes? There's there's no way of guaranteeing it. You can't make that promise. I mean, sorry, go on. I was going to say you um our, our recruitment was actually generally fine. They did the right thing. They kept together the vast majority of a team that charged towards the playoffs, and they um they supplemented it with some pretty good backups. We got a better squad than we had last season. The issue was never the. Well, it was rarely the players, it was mostly the manager. Adams refused to play his best team for ages. I mean, Christ, had, had one of the saving graces of this season is probably that Joel Grant got injured, because had he not been injured, when does Ruben Lamiris come in? Because don't forget, Lamiris only came back in because Jeff Cott got injured. It's as simple as that. T- uh, Jeff Cott, sorry. Uh, Joel Grant got injured. We, we spent months calling for Lamiris to start, and Grant started ahead of him for ages. And Lemirus has probably saved us, almost certainly saved us.
1: So as a season ticket buyer, if you're looking now at taking up the early bird offer, what are we looking at? You're looking almost certainly at having the same manager in place for the rest of next season. You've got a question mark over whether Lemirus and Carey, whatever you think about Carey's form, and I grant that it's not been all it could have been, but he is yeah. a headline marquee name I hate that phrase but you know what I'm saying you've got two players where the club has so far said little to nothing about whether they expect those two players to be at the club next season and I grant it's early there are agents involved it's they're, they're not going to not... know
3: until wait. I mean I don't blame the club There, there's not really much they can do I mean think about the anger when they said McHugh will sign not he had signed he will sign and then he didn't that's a PR disaster That they can't make that promise and they they won't get an answer until long into the summer I mean it's it's not as easy as like Lemirus is almost certainly gone, Lemirus has been fantastic second half of the season he's a class above most of the other players at the moment he'll be top end of the league one at least, I'd see bare minimal chance of him staying, even if Hallett did want to fork out other clubs are going to offer him more Kerry there's a chance but you know the club can't afford to say anything on it because, let's put it, it goes one of two ways: either they admit that there's a minimal chance of them staying, or they, you know, claim that they're going to do their best, which just leads to further disappointment when they don't stay.
1: No, I agree. The club can't and shouldn't make any promises. Absolutely not. Um, the problem is that we haven't heard anything at all about next season. And i absolutely right. You know, they cannot make promises. Totally agree with that. But the problem is what we're looking at is a club which, quite rightly, is not going to spend more than it can afford. They're not going to throw money around. Mm. You know, it's mm. all about sustainability. And I've written enough on this that anybody would know that I completely agree that that's the yeah, right absolutely. strategy. Yeah, absolutely. But what we're looking at, therefore, is a club which self-proclaimedly, if that's a word, has got a uh, modest, below-average budget and with a commercial strategy which is not going to kick in for at least, what, six to 12 months absolute best. So, again, you're absolutely right in terms of what the club can and should be promising. The problem is, to the average supporter, what are they looking at for next season? They're looking at a scenario where the club can't and won't pay um, for an upgrade, and I hate using that word again, but an upgrade... Let's say on the back line in particular, or an upgrade to replace Lamiris.
3: It's not even an upgrade, it's like it's a status quo. You're looking at potentially a. We're not even safe yet, like you say, could stay up, but.
1: So the problem is, and we're looking at a scenario where we will have the same manager next season. I've got no doubt whatsoever that whatever happens, Derek Adams will be the manager next season.
3: Same, but for a lot of people, that would be a sticking point, I know what you mean.
1: So if you're looking at this. As a marginal buyer of a season ticket, what is there to persuade you to stick your hand in your pocket and spend four hundred quid on a season ticket?
3: Yeah, to pay more than before because it's not just the four hundred quid. You have to factor in the petrol, the getting there, you know, the food you eat while you're there. It ends up being well over a thousand pounds over a year. That's not even including away games.
1: Yeah, which is about two two and a half weeks of the average Plymouthian salary after tax.
0: Yeah,
3: and yeah, I mean during a time in which you know Plymouth's economy is dreadful. Um, Brexit could well could well still lead to a no deal scenario, which could. I knew I'd manage to get Brexit in here somewhere, which could depress uh, depress wages even further. <laughs> you know, like it's. I understand the uh, the complaints. It annoys me in, that there's certain uh, individuals, <clears throat> Ian Newell, um yeah. who uh, are <laughs> sorry, I can't resist. Sorry, Ian, um, uh, who, who are sort of complaining about other people complaining. I I fully understand why they're complaining. You know, it hasn't been a very good season for the most part. Lots of frustration, lots of anger, lots of disappointment, and being called a yobs by, ma- uh, by the manager.
1: I, I do worry, I have to be brutally honest, I worry that the club doesn't really get it. I worry that the club doesn't really um, understand the psyche of the average supporter. And that's a huge claim to make. But when you look at the, um, the, the output of social media and the website, etc., It all sounds like a bit of a snow job in terms of everything's fine. You know, if we lose, everything's against us. But don't worry, everything's on track. Um, Don't worry about it. I just think some honesty sometimes in the same way that Bradford have done. And admittedly, they're in a scenario where they know they're going down. So they have to yeah. say something, but
3: just just for context, for context, what Bradford have done is they've sent out an email to uh, I think it's all their season ticket holders, basically promising, know, um, yeah, we're going to back the manager. We've identified what we're going to do already. Basically, like a we recognise what's gone wrong, and this is what we're going to do to fix it. Like a a promise, effectively, to fans. This is what we're doing. We're going to back the manager. This is what he wants. He knows what he wants. We're going to do it.
1: Yeah, sorry, that's that's good. Yeah, we need the context for that, but. Um... I think that a little bit of humility is that the right word? Or at least a recognition that the last two seasons as a Plymouth Argyle fan have not been the most amount of fun that anybody could have.
3: Stop saying the last two seasons. The last season, aside from a very poor start, but I mean, pretty much from December onwards. What? Was That's good. Five
1: months. That's five it's months five of misery months, in the winter. August, September, October,
3: August, October bad, bad. November. We have tick up October, November, Novemberish, and then we dropped then we off we dropped again, again for the month. For so so just, we're only looking at just we bottom, we bottom, we bottom at Christmas. That's bottom Christmas. Yeah, bottom Christmas. Yes, we were oh, last year. We weren't bottom at Christmas. Yes, we were. No, we weren't. We were. A, I th- think we were. No, we weren't bottom at Christmas because we'd already beaten Gillingham and Rotherham. We were bottom after we lost to Portsmouth. And that was right at the start of December. We were bottom at Christmas.
1: Oh, that's okay then.
3: <laughs> oh, sorry. Yeah, it, it, you were the one who was holding up bottom at Christmas.
1: <laughs> oh, that's all right. No and, b- and, and bottom, by we by were b-
3: like four points away from safety, and within a few games, we'd pulled ourselves out of the relegation zone. It might not be four points, but it it was hardly a ama- you know we weren't we weren't talking about Bury later in the season when they were you know submerged. We, it, it wasn't a good first half of the season, but let's not pretend like the second half didn't happen and we all didn't have a great time watching us charge towards the playoffs. I, I, you know, I, I just take objection to saying two bad seasons. Let's not forget, League One, very low budget in League One.
1: No, absolutely. And that but that is the heart of the issue really. We're trying to balance financial susta- sustainability, which is difficult to say at this time of night, with How being competitive you had, Colin? on the How field. Many have you had, Colin? Um <laughs> I'm not prepared to answer that at this point on the grounds of I'll incriminate myself. Um we're trying to balance financial sustainability, there you go, I said it twice, with um some kind of on field success. And I you know, I grant the people who are running the club absolutely that is really really difficult and I've been the first one to stand up and say that financial sustainability bearing in mind what's happening at Bolton what's happened in Notts County what's old, happened the no- exactly any number of other clubs you could possibly name I am 100% behind financial sustainability and I completely back the the, the owner's um strategy in that area because I don't care we have one season we pop up to the championship and next season we're bust. You know, nobody wants that. I completely I completely I back that. I suppose my concern is that they're walking a tightrope as I say between financial sustainability and some kind of moderate success on the pitch and I think they just need to bear in mind how that is perceived by the average Plymouth Argyle season ticket holder or at
3: the end of the day what at the end of the day, what we're really looking for is a better communication strategy. The way the club communicates is poor. Their their match day communications generally quite good, though. Let's face it, we all think they're a bit childish from time to time. But otherwise, they're yeah, they're opaque at best. Hallett has you know, or well, he's pledged that he's going to release full accounts. So that's good. So you know, there'll be more financial transparency. It'll be easier to. You know, shut down anyone trying to claim they're siphoning money out of the club and so forth. Um, it would be easier to track whether or not you know money's being reinvested into the club, and we're getting, you know, w- the wage budgets increasing and so forth. But you know, the the club itself isn't especially good at communicating. Poor use of video on social media. You look at the way we're advertising our season tickets compared to most other clubs. In I mean, we're even talking like clubs that are part time people operating their um their social media. It's it's not really good enough. They they really need to invest a lot more time and money in that.
1: Yeah, you know I agree with that.
4: <laughs> I think but that's I, what boils down to, isn't it? The, I mean, uh, I, I've listened and thoroughly enjoyed like that, that sort of conversation going on, but I think the thing that it completely boils down to is that it's not being communicated very well at all. I mean, what we've seen in the last couple of weeks is season tickets come out. Okay, they've gone up a little bit, and if that's that easy to explain if you communicate it but they haven't and as Colin said if I'm a a sort of and I mean I'm truly hooked now and I would probably pay anything to just go again because I'm that sort of you know sad sort of person who can't live without going to home park but if I was in a sort of situation where I was wondering whether I buy a season ticket season tickets come out they've gone up and nothing's been communicated to me as to why that is I, you know, I wouldn't have the motivation to go and get one. And yeah, I kind of think that links into what you've both been saying. That's going to be a problem for us in getting those, you know, those bums on seats, those season ticket purchases being made. And the way to solve that is to make your communication about what we're doing a lot, lot better than it is. So, I mean, yeah, it's it's why I came in on that point. I think the communication is absolutely key. And I agree that the releasing of the full accounts is absolutely going to help with that. I mean, as you say, it will shut up a few people who think it's just the owners taking money out of the club by putting prices up. And, you know, if that's something we can continue in the vein going forward, that we improve our communication to that extent, great. But I don't see it. And I think that's something that Argyle really need to look at in planning for this sort of thing next season when we have this conversation again.
3: Right, but I think we have to stop there principally because I want to go to bed.
4: I think that's very fair. <laughs> um,
3: for context, I'm very ill. Uh, but, right, so... Uh, thanks. For for, thanks. <laughs> um, go away, <laughs> <laughs> Um Okay, but thank you all very much for listening. That's our show. Um, we hope you enjoyed it. Please don't forget to subscribe. And uh, thank you all very much for listening. And from all of us, good night.
4: Good night. Good
0: night. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery.